Well, welcome again, everybody here at Grace. Welcome everybody watching online too. Thanks for being with us. And it's good to be together this weekend. I love uh, child dedications. I love that as a church family, we actually take that commitment to those kids very seriously. Uh, that we do love them, <clears throat> we do want to invest in them, we do give the best of ourselves to them, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for how you guys have done that for my family, and excited and grateful to, to be a part of doing that for other people's families. So it's fun, right? These kids are cute. When in doubt, have another baby. That's the Bogue philosophy. And so it's, it's fun to celebrate together with all you guys. Uh, we're in a series right now that we call God and Money, and we're talking about God and money, and so that's the conversation, and we're doing that because Jesus talks about it so much. We've said that we actually can't teach what Jesus taught unless we talk about money on a, on a semi-regular basis because he talked about it so much. Uh, Jesus talked <clears throat> more about our relationship with money than he did about marriage, more about money than he did about prayer, more about money than he did about heaven, and more about money than he did about hell. And 13 of his parables were all about money, and Jesus did that because he knows how money interacts with our souls. He knows the temptation to, to, to uh, look at Christ and say, you know what, I'd rather have the money. If you can give me everything right now, if I can gain the world, I'm always tempted to be willing to forfeit my soul in order to do that because we tend to trust money to do what only God can do in our hearts. We think to ourselves, if I had money, I'd be happy. If I had money, I'd be secure. If I had money, I'd be fulfilled. If I had money, I would be safe. And really, those are things that only God can do. And so he knows that we struggle with that temptation. It's not a North American temptation. It's a human temptation. And so through all the pages of scripture and through all of history, he's always addressed that <clears throat> in, our, in our lives. He also knows that money is a big deal with our relationships with each other. So a uh, number one leading cause of divorce given in North America is financial problems. Leading cause of stress in North America is financial stress. Leading reason for relational breakdown. The reason I don't talk to them anymore is money. So God knows it comes in between us and our interaction with him and us and our interaction with each other, and so that's why he talks about it all the time. And we talk about it because Jesus talked about it. We wanna get our heads around it and get, get it kind of in its proper place in our lives. So last couple of weeks, we've been in this conversation, and uh, we've learned this. We've learned that money is not evil, it's just dangerous. Uh, money is not the root of all evil. That's a misquote of the Bible. The quote is, money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so there's nothing evil about money, it's amoral. It, money is not right or wrong, it just is. So it's not evil, it's just dangerous. You have to be careful with it. And last weekend we learned that money's not a trophy, it's a tool. I don't get money so that like, I win and I get first place in the money race. It's a tool that God gives me. Money is something that I use, not something that I worship or admire or stare at. And this weekend, I wanna kinda of add to this idea. Money is not evil, it's dangerous. Money's not a trophy, it's a tool. It's a dangerous tool, it's like a chainsaw. It can be unbelievably healthy and, and helpful, or it can kick and hurt you and even kill you. So it's a tool, it's dangerous. And then I'll say this this weekend, money is not an economic currency, money is a relational currency. Money's not an economic currency, money is a relational currency. And when God looks at our money, he would say, use your money for relationships. Take this dangerous tool 
and build relationships with it, and then you'll start to be using your worldly wealth for the reasons that I gave it to you in the first place. So let me show you this. If you got your Bibles, uh, go to uh, Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> Luke chapter 16. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 730 in those Bibles. Luke chapter 16, page 730. In fact, if you don't own a Bible or a, a modern copy of one, please just take that and keep it. Let it be our gift to you. Write your name in it. So uh, that's the physical copy. And all this is on the app, too, if you want to just use your app. So Luke chapter 16, Jesus is telling here another one of his parables. So a parable is a story that Jesus would create to teach us a truth, right? So the story he made up, the truth is what he wants us to dig into and lock into our lives. So he's teaching his followers, the Bible calls them his disciples, this parable. And he starts in verse 1 of chapter 16 of the book of Luke. He told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called each one of his master's debtor. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager said to him, uh, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450 gallons. Then he said to the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So just get your head around this. This is a dishonest manager. He's doing a bad job. He is upper management at a big company. The ownership group calls him in, said there's money missing. You're not hitting your numbers. You're not making the profit. You're going to be fired. What goes through this manager's head is, what do I need to do now to get ready to not have a job because maybe one of the most honest verses in the whole Bible, I'm too weak to dig and too proud to beg. I can relate to those things, right? And so he's like, I'm not doing that. What can I do so that I create a network so I can go out and get a new job when I get fired? So what he does is he goes to the customers, what do you owe? I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. Tell you what, once you knock 50% of that off, and we'll call it even. What do you owe? I owe 1,000 bushels of wheat. Tell you what, why don't you, why don't you take that down 20% and we'll call it even. And he creates a discount. And the manager, the owner, the rich man whose manager is doing this is looking at what he is doing in the parable, right? So in the parable, the rich man in the parable looks at what his manager did and said this, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He didn't commend his dishonesty. He, commanded, he commended his cleverness. That was clever. Because what this guy did was this. In the ancient world, when you were going to give something charitably, you didn't go to a fundraiser or, or put money in a basket at church kind of a thing, what you would do is you would give a discount. And when you gave a discount, that would cause the community to look at you as benevolent. 
So today it would be like when we give money to the high school football team and they hang our company banner at the, at the football stadium. Or you give buku dollars to the hospital and they write your name on the cancer center. It's the blah, blah cancer center. So what the master did was he looked and said, this guy's clever because he put me in a bind. He used my money to benefit him, but he also made me look good. What am I going to do? Go to the high school and take the banner down and say, pay up the rest of the olive oil you owe me? You know, take my name off the hospital. I want my 20% back. He was clever in the way that he did it. He put his master in a position that he looked good and put himself in a position where he had relational networks. And that's why the master looked and said, that was clever. That was smart what that guy did. Instead of walking away with every dime in his pocket, he realized that the relationships he could create were more valuable than the money that he had, Jesus now in this next statement starts to move away from the parable to the point. So everything else is an illustration that he created, and this is what he wants us to learn from it. Jesus says this, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. He looks now to his disciples and through the scripture to those of us who are Christ followers, and he says, you guys should pick something up here. Uh, the people of this world, or we would say today, the culture, the culture is actually smarter about this than, than we are sometimes, because the culture knows that the language of the culture is money. If I went to Mexico, I would learn Spanish. If I went to France, I would learn French. If I live in a worldly system, I learn to speak the language of money. And money is what the culture speaks. If you want to impress me, use money. If you want to help me, use money. If you want to bless me, use money. If you want to make me happy, use money. If you want to express friendship, use money. This is what the shrewd manager was doing. He was using money to do all those kind of things. And Jesus says, you know what? They're actually better at that than we are. That they would think to use the tool of money as a relational currency to connect with the people around them. Then Jesus goes on and he speaks directly to his followers and directly to us through scripture. He says this, I tell you, this is, what, this is my point, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. Jesus is like, the culture's better at this than the church is. This is what I want you to do, church Christ followers. Use your worldly wealth as a relational currency. Use it to build relationships and use it to build relationships that have an eternal outcome to them. Don't just network and schmooze and do business meetings. That, that stuff is fine. That's the language of a culture. You speak the language but look for a different outcome where you would take that same tool, you're creating the relationship, but you're using that relationship to draw people toward Christ right? Because it's what the culture would do. If the culture interacted with famine, they would give money to it, right? You, church, you should do the same thing, but bring Christ with the money. I want to feed your belly and fill your heart, 
with the hope of Jesus. If the culture interacted with like a, a homeless person, they would give money to it. They would seek to put a roof over the head. I want the church to do the same thing. You, you express the relationship, but you fill the hope up too. Jesus loves you enough that we, the church, are here to put a roof over your head. Speak the language, speak love, speak hope. Use money to express the heart and the mind of Jesus within the culture. It's what makes sense. But don't just throw money at people. Bring your very life with it too. Cause there to be an eternal outcome of those things. Because if I do not give my money, I'm actually withholding my heart. So use your money to express your heart. Use your money to express the heart and the mind of Christ. Create relationships. It's not an economic currency. It's a relational currency. And spend it, so to say, on relationships. That's the point Jesus is driving at. Now what happened was this. Jesus, usually whenever Jesus is teaching his disciples or his followers or something, uh, something there, there is usually a, like a, a circle of critics that are tied to that as well. And the critics in, in the New Testament are usually called Pharisees or Sadducees, sometimes the Roman government, but there's usually kind of these critical people that are around Jesus as well. And this is no exception. As Jesus creates this parable to lay down this point that money is a relational currency, use your worldly wealth for eternal purposes, the critics are listening too, and this is what the Bible says. These critics happen to be Pharisees, and the Bible says this, the Pharisees who love money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. They, they love their money. These Pharisees are religious people. They're priests, they're pastors. They're supposed to be expressing the heart and the mind of Jesus to the people around them, but they were in love with their money. So when they heard Jesus say this, they're like, that's stupid, right? That's dumb. Use your money, to, use your worldly wealth to gain relationships. Why don't you use your worldly wealth for yourself? Why don't you use your worldly wealth for your comfort, for your improvement, for your social standing? You use it for relationships. That's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Jesus, they always say this stuff under their breath and they would always forget he's God. He's like, I'm reading your mind. So Jesus said to them, because he knew what was really going on, he said, you're the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. You got to get your head around the context a little bit. These are the priests, the pastors, the missionaries, the helpers, the charitable workers of their day, the Pharisees, but they love money. And Jesus says, this is what you're doing. You use your money to justify yourself in the eyes of other people. You use your money to make yourself look good in a religious context. And you let people know about your money and how much money you have. And you say, see, God has blessed me because I have a bunch of money. See, I have favor in God's eyes because I have a bunch of money. See how charitable I am because I have a bunch of money. See how merciful I am because I have a bunch of money. You use it to kind of buy your favor with God and with people. But you do it so that you look good, not so that people are actually loved and served. 
right? Jesus actually used an example of this in another part of the Bible where he talked about how these Pharisees would give money at, let's just call it church. It was like the temple, but it's just kind of how we do it at church. And what they would do is this. Jesus said, when you, when you guys go in to give your money, you Pharisees who are self-righteous with your money, you go in with the band, and like they're blowing trumpets and making noise and you're walking in slowly and you got your big check with you. And you're like, look at me, look how blessed God has made me for my own righteousness. I bring thy check to thy house, thy Lord, because ancient Hebrew people often spoke in the old English. And so they, they, would, they would come in and they'd be like, I'm gonna give a six-figure check. Oh, look at it. And they would make sure that everybody knew that they did it and that their name was on it and that they had a plaque somewhere in the building. And then they would make this big to-do. I make this sacrifice to you, Lord, all of these zeros for you, Lord, because I love thee and thou hast blessed me. And Jesus is like, when you do that, and you're self-righteous and you make yourself look good and you make yourself look holy, it's detestable to God. You do that and God just kind of wants to puke. He's like, you gotta be kidding me. Oh no, I'm not, Lord, really. I do it for the... God's just like gross, right? Can't stand it. Jesus in this other story compares that picture to what he calls the giving of the widow. And in the story, a widow comes to church and gives money in the offering, and all she can give is a mite or a nickel. So she gives a, a nickel to the Lord, but it's her last nickel. And she does it quietly, and she does it secretly, and she does it because she feels loved and blessed by God, and she gives it. And Jesus takes those two people and compares them, and he says to the Pharisees, when you give your big check, I want to puke. When she gives your, her nickel, I, I want to celebrate and bless her. Because your big check, you don't, you're giving your bit what, God's broke? If, if, you, if you don't give your money, we're going to shut down the kingdom of God? I'm not interested in the number of zeros. I'm interested in the amount of worship and gratitude. I'd rather have her nickel than your six figures because it's given for all the right reasons. She's loving God. She loves people. And Jesus looks at them. He says, I know what you're doing. You love money and you use it for yourself. And it's not why I gave it to you in the first place. It's not the point. And your love for money, the money in your life, instead of being used as a tool to help people know the heart and the mind of Jesus, is actually being used as a wall to keep people from the heart and the mind of Jesus. It's detestable to me. I hate it. And then he looks at these guys, these critics, and he warns them a little bit. And he says this. He says, you, you got to understand, no one can serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. You can't love money and love people. You can't worship money and worship God. You can't hoard money and love your neighbor. You can't do it. And he looks at these critics and he says, you need to look deep in your own heart because something is terribly wrong. You wave that check in the air like you're doing God a favor and you're acting like it's not his anyways. See, 
You, you wave that check in the air, you get all kinds of credit because your name's on it and the plaque's up for you and this and that and the other thing. And God looks and says, that's, that's not worship. That's social standing. I don't even want it. Keep it. I'll just strike you down and take it from you. See? I, I would much rather have the nickel from the widow who loves people and does not worship money. Because you cannot do both. And Jesus looks and says, you gotta, you gotta double click on your heart there. And then he says this. He, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Jesus basically looking and saying, if I can't trust you with a nickel, I'm not gonna trust you with a dime. The, the people who love money, you know what you're always asking me for? Money. Give me more money. And Jesus is looking and saying, why would I give you more money? I don't, I don't trust you with the money I gave you already. You're not, you're not using it as a relational currency. You're using it to make yourself proud and arrogant. Why would I give you more money? You're wasting your breath on that prayer. If I can't trust you with this, I'm not gonna trust you with that. You're crazy. And then he says something that's very powerful and something we gotta get our head around. He says this, he says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Boy, that's a big statement right there. If I, don't, if I can't trust you with a nickel, I'm not gonna trust you with a dime. If I can't trust you with a dime, I'm not gonna trust you with a hundred bucks. If I can't trust you with a hundred bucks, I'm not gonna trust you with somebody's soul. See? If I, if I can't trust you to handle something as unimportant as money, why would I trust you with earthly, with, with eternal riches, with the hearts and lives of people, okay? Now, this principle is very important. I want, I want, I want us to get our head around a little bit. And, and probably the way that is easiest for us to kind of get our head around it, kind of as a group here, is to think about it in terms of the church, okay? So let me lay down this example, and we'll talk about it. So when you think about... If I can't trust you with earthly riches, why would I trust you with eternal riches? I want you to just think about the church, okay? So when you think about Grace Church and, and Pastor Jeff, you would do this math on the church. We all would. If it came out that Pastor Jeff was embezzling money from the church, and you, been, you work hard, and you give your tithes and offerings, and you're giving it as an act of worship unto the Lord, for all the right reasons, right? And you found out that I was taking that money and I was getting rich off of it. Or you, get, you gave money for power kids or for feed my starving children or whatever, and I took it and I was putting fuel in my private jet with it. Because I have a private jet. It's just, it's a, it's a matchbox little jet. I keep it in my office somebody gave it to me. But, so I have one. It doesn't take a lot of gas. But, but if, you, if you found out that I was taking God's money, it's the way that you would interpret it, and I was stealing it, and I was using it for personal gain, what would happen is this. Number one, you would immediately quit giving money. Number two, you would stop coming to Grace Church. Because you would look and say, if I can't trust Jeff with worldly wealth, I'm not gonna let him lead me spiritually. See, that's how you would look at it. You look, if, if, the, if the church is a big lie and a big joke, 
And we, we, we passed on the new car and keep driving the used one to support whatever the church is saying that we're excited to support together. And I find out that you're taking that sacrifice and you're stealing it from God and from us. I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and let you teach me the Bible or, or work with my marriage or help me walk through a relationship. If I can't trust you with money, I'm not gonna trust you with my soul. Make sense? The standard that you would apply to the church in which, by the way, you should apply to the church, right? So it, it's important. We went through an audit two months ago and every nickel and every dime is where it's supposed to be. That, that is not something to brag about. That's an expectation that should be met, right? Because we would look and say, that, that's right. I often tell our interns and residents that uh, trust is the, is the currency of ministry. So if you can't trust somebody, you can't do ministry with somebody. So when you look and say, Jeff, if I give money, it shows up where I expected to show up, right? And I say, yes, I would say that is a right expectation. If you can't trust me with a checkbook, you shouldn't trust me with your soul. And I would also say this, Jesus would look at you and say, that is the expectation you should have on your church and that is the expectation the people in your life have of you. The exact same standard of trust applies to you. If your wife can't trust you with the money, if she can't trust that it's where it's supposed to be, if she can't trust that it's being used for the benefit of the family, if she can't trust that you didn't sneak it away or it's not being gambled or drank away, if she can't trust you with the money, she's never gonna trust you to be the spiritual leader of her home. If I can't trust you with a checkbook, I'm not gonna trust you with my soul. If your husband can't trust you with the money, if you're never satisfied with it, if it just kind of disappears, what happened to it? And the money's gone, but this new purse arrived. If, you, if he can't trust you with the money, he's not gonna trust you with his heart. If your parents can't trust you with the money, if there's just, I don't know, there's all, when they come over, there's always just something missing. Where did it go? Oh, I know where it probably went. If your parents can't trust you with the money, they're not gonna ever trust you to be mature and independent. If your roommate can't trust you with the money, then they're, they're not gonna care what you think about Jesus. Why would they trust you about your opinions about God? If your boss can't trust you with the money, if he can't look and say, or she can't look and say, you know, so-and-so, they give me a solid day's work for a solid day's pay. Well, Jeff, they underpay me. Well, you shouldn't have made the deal then. That's not the issue. So if you're not doing, if you're not being honest, if somehow the shop supplies wind up in your garage, I don't know. You're never gonna get the promotion. If they can't trust you to show up on time, why would they trust you to lead 30 people and put their jobs in jeopardy? If your employees can't trust you with the money, if they know the company had a killer year, 
and they see the new toys you're buying and they're never brought into that blessing. Don't talk about what an incredible Christ-centered business you run because the world knows. See, the world would look and say, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was generous. You're not. I thought Jesus was compassionate. You're not. I, I thought Jesus was merciful. I thought when Jesus saw a need, he would try to meet it. You're not. I thought Jesus was trustworthy. I thought you could just take his word for his word. <laughs> I don't, not you, man. I don't know where those things went that you were in charge of. See? And Jesus is looking and he's saying, guys, listen, it, it, the standard you would hold me to, which you should, Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's for everybody. That's not just how you gauge a church. That's how people gauge you. And, and if they can't trust you with worldly wealth, they're not gonna trust you with your heart. Why? Why? Because of this, ready? This is a great tattoo. You should get this one put on. Here it is, ready? Because money, ready? Money is never about money. Money is always a reflection of your heart. Money's never about money. You don't divorce over money. My parents were wiped out financially when I was a kid, wiped out because of sickness, destroyed us financially. They never got divorced. It wasn't about the money. They still trusted each other. It's about the, the stripping away of trust, the eternal riches, see? Relational breakdown, it's not about the money. I, I wanna kill you because $5 means that much to me. It's not about the money. If you had asked for the five bucks, your roommate would have probably given it to you. It's because you lied because you misrepresented. Money is never about the money. It's about the heart. And Jesus leans in, he says, right, my people, you gotta understand, that's the way the world thinks. They speak the language of money. So you, you have the opportunity to express your heart and mine with money. So use it that way. It's going away, you're gonna lose your money. You're going to make a bad decision, the economy's going to turn, or we're just going to put you in the dirt one day. One way or another, you're losing your money. Jesus says, so use it. It's not evil, it's just dangerous. It's not a trophy, it's a tool. It's not an economic currency, it's a relational one. And you can create eternal riches relationally by using your worldly wealth to express the heart of Christ, to express your love to each other. Now, I was trying to think through how to land this this weekend because I, I wanted to give you guys some handles. And, and this is what I, I want to be careful of. I want you to be careful of. I want you to be careful not to create lists. Lists always lead to legalism. So you got so what Jesus means is you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this this list. Lists lead to legalism and that's not what grace is about, it's not what Jesus is about. 
So when you think through how do I use my money as a relational currency, I want you to think through questions, not lists, okay? So here's a question you should ask yourself. You, you should look and say, when I think about my money that I am managing for God, have I worked into my budget ways that I use it for God, right? So the Bible would teach us this. If you wanna know what is actually in your heart, there's three windows you can peer through. And it will, it will reveal your heart every time, okay? Number one is your schedule. You look at your schedule and you will find out what you value because we always do what we value. That's why we'll play Fortnite but not go to CrossFit. Personal confession, right? So, right, so it, because we value it. I'll talk myself out of this, but I won't talk myself out of that because my schedule gives away my priorities every time. The second thing that Jesus says is this He says, Listen to what you say. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Doesn't matter what you mean, it matters what you say. And our mouth speaks verbally, and our mouth today speaks through our fingertips or thumbs. So, what I say on social media and what I say out loud actually tells me what I believe and love in my heart. And the third thing that Jesus would say is this, if you wanna find out what you actually love and actually value, look at your budget. Because your heart and your treasure are always in the same place. So what you spend your money on reflects what you actually love, okay? So if I was gonna do this and I was gonna think through how do I turn my money into a relational currency, I would probably ask budget questions like this, okay? For, for instance, this, here's number one. I would ask, is my money helping people know Christ? Does it help anyone know Christ? Or does it facilitate the Great Commission, if you're familiar with that? Do I, with intentionality and purposefulness, is there a part of, my, of God's money that I'm using to help people know who Jesus is? Because that's a relational currency. You need hope, and I have hope. And if money will help me facilitate you knowing about that hope, I'll spend my money on that. If you went through your budget right now, is there anything like that? Not legalism, but anything like that. Now, I know that some of you are saying this. Well, how, where do I even start, Jeff? Okay, so the Bible would say this. If you need a number, you start with a tithe, which is 10% of your pre-taxed income, or what the Bible calls a first fruit. That a tithe is a spiritual discipline. It's like prayer or Bible reading or going to church. So if you're like, I don't even know what to do, well, that would be a starting point. What Jesus really wants for us as we grow in our maturity in him is he wants what the Bible calls generosity. And generosity, when we think of generosity in our, in our culture, we think of leftovers. If I have a leftover, I, uh, you're more than welcome to use it. When God thinks of generosity, he thinks of intentionality. You budget generosity. I want to help people know Jesus. I want to be generous. I want to use my earthly wealth for eternal purposes. And I'm going to, this is my first filter. And I'm actually going to do that on purpose to do that. Here's the second thing I would look at. I would ask is to help people know, know Jesus. The second thing I would ask is, does my money, is it budgeted to help me express love? Is there a place in my budget that allows me to love my neighbor as myself? 
to make sure they have food and they have shelter and they have access and they have help and they have encouragement? Do I, do I actually, with intentionality, live my life like that? And sometimes we do these things corporately as a church, we'll do something together, right? And we'll invest in kids and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes you do that kind of individually, but is it actually a high enough priority for me where I would say I have worldly wealth and I'm going to use it the way that God would want me to use it? So I'd ask the question, is it facilitating the Great Commission? Am I helping people know Jesus? Secondly, is it facilitating the Great Commandment? Am I helping people love Christ? And am I loving my neighbors myself? And the third question I would ask is this, is there something unique to me that God is asking me to do. Sometimes, with our finances, God will ask us to do something that's unique to us, right? Probably the question I get the most when, when we talk about these things is, so what do I do with the, with the guy on the corner at Walmart? Do I, do, I, do I empty my IRA to him? Right, kind of thing. And then the next question is this, what do you do, Jeff? I'm like, well, first of all, that's private. Why don't you say your own business, you know, kind of thing. And, but I'm like, well, that's an interesting question because it depends, see? It's God's money, which means I want the Holy Spirit to lead me in investing it, so it depends. I'm pretty quick to give away a couple bucks. I'm pretty quick to look at somebody without a coat and give them my coat because I can go buy another one or my gloves or whatever. That's, that's not that big of a deal to me. There have been times that God has asked me to do something unique to me that is not unique, that is not for you. It's just for me. There's been people that Heidi and I have helped and it's been something that God's laid on our heart, but I would never stand up here and say, everybody needs to go do what I just did. There's been times I've rummed into a homeless person, I've just given them all the cash in my wallet. There's been times I've, I haven't given them a thing, right? So God leads those ways. Uh, one of my favorite stories about my dad is a homeless guy knocked on our door one time, said, I don't have a place to live. So my dad gave him all of our camping equipment, the tent, the stove, the lantern, the cot, the mattress, everything. He just loaded the guy up and the guy left. Clarence went in and told Phyllis about that, which is why none of our children are named after my parents. And so he, Clarence went and told Phyllis about that and Phyllis hit the roof. She's like, what, Clarence, what are you doing? You're getting ripped off. He's like, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to do that, right? Now that story has a happy ending Two weeks later, the guy found an apartment and brought all of dad's stuff back to him, okay? Now, that doesn't mean you're supposed to go give away all your camping equipment, although Heidi and I would like to go out west next spring, so if you have an RV you're not using, just pray about it, that's all I'm saying. But, but that, that, doesn't, right? that doesn't mean that you should do that. It means that God may ask you to do something. And if you have something unique to you, especially if it's significant, prayer wise counsel, all those kind of things, encourage. Prayer, wise counsel, encourage, because we talk ourselves out of those kind of things all the time, right? So God would look and say, guys, this is what my people do. They, they use the money to create relationships. That's what we do. And, and not not to make yourself look good or to let yourself get ahead, but eternal relationships. We help facilitate relationships to move people toward the Lord. So 
in, in your giving, are you helping Jesus make sense to anybody? In your life, in your budget, are you expressing the heart of God as if Christ himself were right there meeting that need? And then are you dialed in? Has God brought something or someone across your path? Is there any margin anywhere to act on that? Right? And the people of God would look and say, that's what I want. Money's not evil, it's just dangerous. Money's not a trophy, it's a tool. It's a tool that I have ready. The chainsaw is sharp and it has gas and oil in it. And then when God opens the door, I use the tool. I don't create the tool and scramble for the tool and I've prepared to use the tool. And God would look and say, right, there you go. That's what I gave it to you for. If Jesus was kind of wrapping up this conversation, he might say something along these lines. He might say, the people of this world speak the language of money. It's just the way it is. It's no big deal. It's just what it is. The people of Christ should use our money to shout, Christ and I love you. Money makes sense to the people of the world. We have culture that's driven, obsessed by money. They use money constantly. It's no big deal. If I'm in Mexico, I speak Spanish. If I'm in France, I speak French. No big deal. Speak the language. But speak a different message with the language. Use the language of the culture to speak the heart of Christ. Jesus loves you. And I do. I love you. Here's the money. And I want to fill your belly, but I want to fill your heart, so to say. I want to be purposeful about that. Because I, I want to take the master's money and manage it for the master's purposes. And it's, it's smart, it's wise see, to use it as a relational currency. Okay? All right. I'm going to ask the band to come out. And we'll pray together, and we're going we're gonna to sing a prayer. I love this prayer that we're going to sing. So maybe as we sing it, you can use it, use the words of it to dedicate yourself to Christ and to, to give him freedom in this area of your life too, right? Jesus, love you. Help us with this. God, help us with our perspective of ownership. Help us with intentionality. And help us with, with what we give it all to. It's yours for your glory, God and to help people know you and to remind people that you listen and all the things that we can do with this tool are powerful. So God, help us guard our hearts from being lovers of money and being instead just enamored with you and your goodness and love to us. God, in these moments as we sing these prayers, convict us if we need convicted. God, awaken us if we need fresh ideas. But in all of it, remind us of your deep love and passion and generosity to us. Work in these moments, Jesus, in your name. Amen.